you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to what is probably an unfamiliar passage to you, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. That's kind of in the end of the first third of your Bible. I don't know if that helps you any at all, but maybe it does, all right? 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to read the whole chapter together, so if you need to have a seat, that's perfectly fine and acceptable. Chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles, beginning in verse 1, it says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the angle, and he fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness, and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in Shephelah and in the plain. And he, made, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil." Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the number and the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under the command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers in the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him, and with eighty priests of the Lord, who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry, angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah, the prophet of the son of Amos, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. 
Heavenly Father, my prayer for my people is simple. I want them to prosper as Uzziah prospered. I want them to walk in the fear of the Lord, and by walking in the fear of the Lord, walk in a prosperity in this life that can only be experienced by the nearness of your presence. Father, I pray this morning that you would call us forward into this joyful life of abiding in Christ and that, Father, at the same time, you would warn us and reprove us and scare us away, Lord, from a life that is filled with pride that ultimately will lead to our destruction. Father, I pray this morning that we would not be known for how we've been humbled, but for how we've been used by you, that we would be marked by the mark of Christ in all that we do. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Edward Smith captained ships for more than 40 years at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century. He was known by everyone to be an honorable and courageous man. His rise to fame is he had been a hero of the Boer War where he had sailed two different journeys down across the southern tip of Africa without incident and without being taken by pirates or combatants. When he returned, he became an employee of the White Star uh, Luxury Line and he became known as the Millionaire's Captain. The reason he was the millionaire's captain is because if you could afford him, this is the captain that you wanted. He was known to be safe. He was known to be diligent. He was at the, at the very preeminence of his craft. And so if, he, if you were going to sail across what was a treacherous sea, like the icy Atlantic, this was the guy that you wanted. His colleagues and passengers esteemed him equally. And four different times over the course of his life, he sailed the largest ship in the world because he was so esteemed by the White Star Company. Finally, his ultimate triumph was to to sail on what was supposed to be the greatest of all the ships. And as you've probably put together already, on April the 12th, he set sail as the captain of the Titanic. With more than 40 years of experience, with some of the most wealthy people on earth aboard, and the finest and most luxurious of ships. And even though he had sailed around the southern tip of Africa, and even though he had traversed the icy Atlantic waters more than one time over his decades-long career, on that fateful day, he sailed that Titanic to the bottom of the Atlantic. And the irony is, is that this man was two different captains, isn't it? Wasn't he? That for 40 years, he was a great captain. He was a good captain. He was a wise captain. He was an effective captain. But in April of 1912, he was a disastrous captain that led to the loss of 1,500 souls aboard the Titanic. It's, it's, it's strange to consider that one man can be both people, that one man can be both kings, both captains. But what we see in Uzziah is that it's not just captains that it's true of, it's also true of kings. And it's true of us too. That we can live our lives and we can live largely effective lives only to come to the end of our lives and to have a disastrous fall so that we are known not by the successes of our earlier days, not known by our devotion to the Lord of our earlier days, but instead by the disastrous fall of our latter days. 
This was the case for Uzziah, the king of Judah, who was reigned for 52 years and was overall a good and honorable king, so much so that the chronicler here says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. But though the beginning of his life and the beginning of his reign was characterized by the nearness of God and the blessing of God and the prosperity of God, it was the end of his reign that would become the defining mark of his legacy when he fell away from the Lord. So you have one man, but he was two different kings. And by seeing both aspects of his reign, what we're able to discern is both in the beginning how it is that we can enjoy this journey through life. How it is that we can live a life by God's power, for God's glory, in God's strength. And in the second half, how we can ultimately sink this life that we've been given. How we can thrive and how we can ruin it. First, I want us to look at the how to enjoy the journey. How to enjoy the journey from the first part of Uzziah's reign. You know, the irony of the sea is that the sea is on one hand a a representation of peace. And it is on the other hand a representation of pandemonium. That depending upon your perspective and your experience, the sea can either be calming or it can be terrifying. Consider it. You can have on the edge of the Pacific, Megan and I were out on the Pacific coast this past summer and we have never seen the cliffs. I've always wanted to see the waves crashing into those rocky cliffs, which we don't have here in the Gulf of Mexico. And so we were there and it's, it's something to behold as these craggy cliffs are being invaded by the blue Pacific water. So you can have a person that's there and he's watching the rough waters come in and the waves crash against the, the, the rocks from his balcony and he says to his wife, how peaceful is this? How relaxing is this? How wonderful is this? But you know, you can have a group, a team of sailors that are out in the midst of the Pacific and they're encountering the same waves on the same night and they have a completely different experience where the man told his wife how peaceful the the captain tells his crew we may just die. And that's a good illustration of our lives, isn't it? That's a good illustration of our lives. All of us are going to experience waves crashing into our lives, aren't we? All of us are going to experience rough waters in our lives. But it's our experience and it's our perspective of those rough waters that will determine the difference between peace and panic in our lives. I'm convinced that God would have his people enjoy the journey that he has sent them on. Enjoy the life that he has put before them. But though we are called to enjoy this life, what all of us have to come to recognize is that so much of this life is just not very enjoyable. And so I think what Uzziah does is Uzziah gives us a pathway. He gives us a blueprint on how how it is that we, though we may experience rough waters, and we certainly will, though we may experience things that are less than enjoyable in this life, and we certainly are and will, and it's going to come even more in the the future, that though those things may be true of our lives, how we can actually come to thrive and flourish and enjoy the journey that God has sent us on. The first thing I want you to see is that uncharted journeys require true bearings. Uncharted journeys require true bearings. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us are living an uncharted journey. Nobody has ever lived your life before. Have you ever thought about that? No one's ever faced the exact situation that you face. No one's ever had the exact upbringing that you've had. No one's ever encountered the exact challenges or, or, been, been, or benefited from the exact same gifts as you. You are an individual in the eyes of the Lord with a thumbprint of God made uniquely in his image. But nobody has ever charted your life before. And so how do we typically respond? 
We typically respond like, Lord, show us the specifics. Like, give us the map. Let us have all of the landmarks. Let us know where all of the landmines are. Show us where all the icebergs are lurking beneath the surface so that we can live the life that we want to live. In other words, Lord, show me who I'm supposed to marry. Please, please show me what house I need to buy. Please show me where I need to go to school. Show me what job I need to take. Show me if I need to accept the promotion or not. Show me if I need to have kids this time or at a different time or if I need to adopt or if I don't need, God show me all of the specifics of my life so that I can be sure that I can enjoy the journey but God doesn't do that God doesn't give us the specifics God gives us a direction God gives us bearings he gives us a direction and if we will head in the direction if we will put ourselves on course with the bearings then what we'll find is is that we'll ultimately end up at the destination. Here's where we see this in Uzziah's life. You'll notice that it says and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah was done. How did he do what was right in the eyes of the Lord? And if you read the book of 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, what you'll know is that's an exception. Most of the kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So what was unique about Uzziah? How did Uzziah say him, he did it by setting himself to seek God. By setting himself to seek God. In other words, in other words, before Uzziah got to, the, got to the specifics of his life, before Uzziah determined who he, what kind of military strategy he was supposed to do, how he was supposed to organize the military, what kind of economic plan he was supposed to have, what his marriage was supposed to be like, what all, before he got to all of those things, what Uzziah did was he set himself in the direction of the Lord. That he aimed his life to be targeted at the Lord himself. That in other words, that what Uzziah did from the beginning of his life, And I want you to zone in if you're a teenager. Uzziah is 16 years old. It is not too early to decide to live a life that is wholly sold out to the Lord. At 16 years old, he is the ruler of a nation. And at 16 years old, he has the wisdom and humility to say that I don't need to know the specifics. I don't need to know where all the the landmines are. I don't need to know where all of the icebergs are. Lord, what I need is I need to go toward you. I need to move my life in the trajectory of the Lord and head in his direction. You know, we've been talking a lot about the fear of the Lord, and you'll notice that it comes up. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And I think here we learn something about what it means to be to fear the Lord. We've talked about what a, what a difficult thing this is for us to understand what it means to fear the Lord. But what we see here is that to fear the Lord is not a momentary decision followed by a lifetime of feelings. I think that's how we think of it. We think that to fear the Lord is a momentary transactional decision now followed by a life of peaceful, joyful, gleeful feelings or or convictions that are going to always make sure that I want what I need to want and I love what I need to love, but that's not the case. What we see in Uzziah is that to fear the Lord is not so much a momentary transactional decision. To fear the Lord is actually an orientation. It's a direction for your life. It's the bearings for your life. It's 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 a pursuit as you begin to seek after the Lord all of your life. In other words, to fear the Lord is to aim to live your life Godward in every arena of your life. To say that, Lord, what I, I don't know exactly who I'm supposed to marry, but I know I want to marry in a way that brings you glory. Lord, I don't know exactly what job I'm supposed to have, but I know whatever job I end up in, I'm going to use that to bring you glory. Lord, I don't know exactly what community I'm supposed to live in, but what I know is where you plant me there, there I'm going to bear fruit for your name. That the bearings of Uzziah are set forth as being aimed and directed 
toward the Lord. And this is what it means for us to fear the Lord as well. And in fact, that's why he has to be instructed. If it's just a moment, if, it, if it's just a decision that you make that's followed by a lifetime of feelings, that doesn't require ongoing instruction, does it? But instead, for Uzziah, what he recognized and what the wise men around him helped him understand was that the fear of the Lord is a lifetime process. It's a lifetime direction. In other words, you have to learn what it means to take all of the areas of your life and surrender them to the Lord. You have to learn over time what it means to take all the areas of your, of your marriage, of your parenting, of, of if you're dating, if you're pursuing athletics, or you're pursuing a, a, an ambitious career, or you're pursuing some call in ministry. Whatever it is that's going on in your life is to take all of those, those areas of our lives, all the various spheres of our lives, and to figure out, figure out how it is that we can take them and aim them at God. How it is that we can take them and set them on the path toward the Lord. So, so all of us, like Uzziah, need the responsibility to be instructed in the fear of the Lord. That's why, that's why one of the markers of a person who fears the Lord is a person who comes and wants to sit under the preaching of God's word. It's one of the markers is a person that wants to open God's word on a daily basis to, to glean from it. A person who wants to read and pray and seek because what they want to figure out is how do I take all of my life. This knowledge is not imparted to you in the instant of your salvation. That begins the journey. That begins the direction. That begins the orientation. So that over time, over time, more and more, you can bring your life in submission to the Lord. And I wonder this morning, what are you spending the majority of your time thinking about? Are you spending the majority of your time thinking about all the specifics? Are you, are you spending the majority of your time obsessing over the car you're supposed to buy or the house you're supposed to get or the calling that you're supposed to pursue or the, the school that you want to attend or the person that you might marry or might not marry? Are you spending your time figuring out how to set your life in the direction of God? How to be more content in God? How to be more satisfied with God. How to find more joy in Christ. How to maximize your knowledge of who God is. Because when you know who God is, as you pursue God, guess what, guess what, guess what? Those true bearings, that's going to lead you to the right destination. All of the specifics, they'll take care of themselves. So if we want to enjoy the journey, we have to recognize that uncharted journeys require true bearings. And then we have to recognize that we're all vulnerable and vulnerable captains need able help. Vulnerable captains need able help. It's, it's difficult to ask for help. Is there, any of y'all have difficulty asking people for help? I have trouble asking people for help. Uh, last week, you guys know that we were out camping, and my beautiful bride may have let my car battery die. And I had to get a jump. I had the cables, the whole thing. But it was just, it took so much in me to go to the person next to me who was so kind and nice and to say, hey, can you help me with my car? It, it's an amazing, the amount of self-sacrifice and, and dignity-crushing humility it required to go and ask such a simple, simple question, right? Because we want to believe that with enough duct tape and enough YouTube videos, we can fix anything. We can figure anything out. I don't need your help. I'll, I'll manage it myself. I'll, I'll find it within myself to, to figure out how to get there. What's striking is that throughout the first 15 verses of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we're reading about the prosperity of Uzziah. We're reading about what an effective king he is. We're, we're reading about how he managed the economy and how he led the military and how he constructed and fortified all of the cities and how he received the blessing of God. That, that's really the significance there of Elith. His, his dad had not been able to do that, but here Uzziah had. He, had. he had struck and he had satisfied the Lord and had the blessing of the Lord and the favor of the Lord upon his life. 
And what's interesting, though, is that as scattered throughout all of these tales of Uzziah's great strength is reminders that he had a lot of help, that he had a lot of help. God helped him against the Philistines. Look at verse 13. Under the command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Verse 15, in Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men. This sounds like it's all him, right? To be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. That over and again, throughout the effectiveness of Uzziah's reign, throughout the prosperity of his reign, throughout the, the effectiveness of his military might, it's repeated time and again that this man was helped. And he was helped specifically by the Lord. Even more striking is not just how often the word help comes up, but every time help comes up, strength comes up. Look at what it says. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Midianites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border, for he became very strong. Do you see the connection? Help, strength. Verse 13, under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power. Do you see the connection here? Again, he was marvelously helped, verse 15 at the end, until he was strong. There's this connection in the mind of the narrator that, yes, yes, Uzziah had prospered. Yes, Uzziah had had an effective reign, but Uzziah had a lot of help. And because Uzziah had a lot of help, Uzziah was very strong. Now, it seems counterintuitive to us. Most of the time, we actually define strength by the lack of need of help, right? If, if you're strong, you don't need help. But in Uzziah's life and in the life of anyone who fears the Lord, what you recognize is that they are strong specifically because they have the help. And again, that helps us to clarify what it means to fear the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is where self-awareness meets God-awareness. The fear of the Lord is where self-awareness means God-awareness. Self-awareness, meaning I know who I'm not. I know how weak I am. I know what I don't know, but it doesn't stop there. If that's all you think about, if all you think about is who you're not, what you can't do, and what you don't know, boy, that's a miserable life. That, that is a recipe for despair. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not ascetic that way. Instead, the Christian life says, I know who I'm not, but I know who God is. That who I'm not, he is. What I can't do, he can. What I don't know, he knows. And so the fear of the Lord is where self-awareness meets God-awareness, this awareness that I need to draw near to him because I need his help, because I need his wisdom, because I need his strength. In fact, this is really, this is really amazing how uh, the, the Bible, it's, it's so intricately woven and, and written. It's so beautiful. It, it gets to this with the very name of Uzziah. So if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 15, there's a synopsis of the same story that's told. And Uzziah there goes by a different name. There he goes by the name Azariah. Now Azariah means the Lord is my help. You see why this keeps coming up in the story now? Uzziah, which is the name that he's known here in 2 Chronicles. We read about it earlier in Isaiah chapter 6. Uzziah means the Lord is my strength. Do you see it? Do you see it? That the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord makes us strong specifically because the fear of the Lord draws us away from ourselves and into the presence of the Lord. 
That the fear of the Lord makes us strong, not by sending us to planet fitness, not by telling us to be the Stoics and face everything that hard that happens in life with a stiff lip and an iron jaw. The fear of the Lord makes us strong by saying, come near to the one who is actually strong. Come near to the one who is actually fearsome. Come near to the one who is actually mighty. And because he is on your side, because he is your ally, because he is your God, it will evaporate every other fear in your life. So that brings us to the final way we enjoy the journey. And that is that to realize that rough waters can lead to joyful voyages. That rough waters lead to joyful voyages. That we, uncharted journeys require true bearings. Yes, they're going to lead to the right destination. Vulnerable captains need able help. Yes, we, we need help. We need the strength. But when we have the help, when we have the help, when we have the strength, rough waters, they can lead to joyful voyages. You'll see that it says there that God made him prosper. God made him. Uzziah was not a self-made American man. Uzziah was a God-made man. Uzziah was a God-built man. And so he prospered. Now, I believe the Bible teaches that every Christian, every child of God ought to prosper. And that makes us really nervous. And in fact, I think it makes us so nervous to hear that because of the distortions of the prosperity gospel and so many false preachers in our day that we run from it. But if we miss the reality that God wants his children to prosper, then we are missing out on part of the good news of what it means to be secured in Christ in this lifetime. That what we need is not to throw out the reality of prosperity. What we need is to capture and redeem the right definition of what it means to be prosperous in the new covenant sense. For Uzziah, that meant that his his reign was going to have the hand of God upon it. And because he was the ruler of God's people, God's people were going to prosper militarily. And they were going to prosper economically. But if we were to zoom out, we can place this in the new covenant by saying that prosperity, prosperity for the child of God is to do and flourish in the call of God by the help of God. That prosperity in the new covenant sense is to flourish in the call of God By the help of God. That whatever it is that God has set before you to do and whatever responsibilities it is that he has set before you to accomplish, that you can flourish therein because you have the very presence of the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You rest in the triumphant resurrection of Christ so you can move forward and flourish regardless of what you face. In fact, what you'll discover, and I think this is beautifully Christian, beautifully New Covenant, as you look forward into Romans chapter 8 and to other places, is it's actually in the roughest waters that you find the most beautiful stories when you know that you're going to triumph. Think about your life. Think about the stories when you're gathered around the campfire, you're gathered around Thanksgiving, the ones that you all go, always go back to, the ones that make you laugh the loudest, the ma- ones that make you stop and, and just want to remember how good God is. Almost, in, almost inevitably, it comes out of the hardest times of your life. Almost inevitably, it comes through rough waters. When you thought the deck was stacked against you, but, but, but God showed up and intervened, right? See, the goal, the the glory of what we have as new covenant believers is we have the knowledge that we know that we're going to prevail. We know that we're going to triumph. We know that Christ is going to return. We know that the resurrection is the first fruits of our own resurrection. And because we know that we are going to triumph and we know that we are going to prevail, I can be sick and I can flourish. I can have a bad dad and I can flourish. I can lose my job and I can flourish. 
Because I know that this isn't as good as it gets. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't all that there is. I know that even in the midst of those rough waters, even in the midst of those sufferings, that there is a particular glory that God is preparing me for. I know that there is a particular way in which I can share in the sufferings of Christ and live out my calling as a flourishing child of God so that ultimately, ultimately one day I will rest with him forever. Forever. In other words, how is it when you're sick or when you lose your job or when your child rebels or when your marriage gets... So how is it that you can flourish and prosper as a child of God in those times? It's by being marvelously helped. The word marvelously there, if you look in the Psalms, if you look in Joshua, it's the same word. It's almost always attributed with God as the subject. And it is almost always... Uh, Trans, translated as the wondrous works. This is when he goes and he tells Joshua, as he's going into Canaan, I'm going to do wondrous works in your midst. The, the psalmist David, I think it's in Psalm 27, he says, it is the wondrous works of God that secures me by his strength. In other words, in other words, what we can know is that we are tethered to the wondrous power of the living God. We are tethered to the wonderful mercy and kindness and grace of the living God. So, so, so as hard as my life may get, I don't have to panic. I don't have to panic. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about how this is going to turn out. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm falling from the hand of God. I can know by the wondrous power of God, I am secure. I am secure. So the first part of Uzziah's reign, we learn how it is that we can flourish. How it is that we can enjoy the journey and prosper with God's help. And in the second we learn how it is that we can sink this ship. How we can sink the ship of our lives. So that ultimately we end up in a place that we never wanted to be, doing what we never wanted to be doing. If you go back and you look at Captain Smith, Captain Smith showed uh, that he could have taught both courses really, couldn't he? He could have taught you exactly how to enjoy the journey, how to sail down the coast of Africa, or how to traverse the Atlantic, and to go out and to behold the icebergs, and to be calmed and enjoy them. And he could have taught the course on how to sink to the bottom of the Atlantic too, couldn't he? Uzziah could have taught both of those courses. Uzziah was both of those kings. One man, two captains. One man, two kings. And just because we live a life that is devoted to the Lord in the beginning of our life or even devoted to the Lord three quarters of our life doesn't mean that at the end of our life we can't, we can't veer off course. Uzziah is a warning toward both of those things. Uzziah on one hand tells us it is not too early to commit to the Lord. And on the other hand, it is not too late to forsake the Lord. And so from Uzziah on how to sink the ship, we learn that you bet that the first way to sink your ship is to believe yourself unsinkable. To believe yourself unsinkable. A few years before he sailed the Titanic, he was, uh, Edward Smith was interviewed. And he was asked specifically about the, the possibility of sinking one of the mighty ships that he was sinking. He was, at that time, sailing one of the other largest ships that had ever been built at that time uh, prior to the Titanic. And he said something that now, in retrospect, seems painfully arrogant. He says, I will say that I cannot imagine any condition which could cause a ship to founder. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. Do you hear the arrogance? Do you hear the self-assurance? The Bible says that Uzziah was a man that, he, uh, that God made him strong. And when he became strong, he became prideful. And when he became prideful, he was utterly, utterly destroyed. That his arrogance took over his life as, as, as cockiness began to creep into his mind. As he began to feel the 
fullness of his strength and to see the expansiveness of his kingdom that he teaches us, he and Edward Smith both, that the surest path to a sunken life is a puffy chest. A puffy chest. In fact, we learn something else here about pride is that this teaches us actually the opposite of what it means to fear the Lord. I think when we think about the fear of the Lord, what the opposite would be, we think it might be the fear of man. But the opposite of the fear of the Lord is not the fear of men. And the opposite of the fear of the Lord is not even the fear of what might be. Those are are contributing factors, but they're not the ultimate. The The opposite of the fear of the Lord is the love of yourself. Because why do you fear men? Because you want their approval, because you love you. Why do you fear what might be? Because you want safe passage. You want smooth waters. You love you. That, but the, at the beginning of, of, of a lack of the fear of the Lord is the love of yourself and the desire for smooth passage through this life so that you can feel, fulfill all the ambitions and all the acclaim and enjoy all of the accolades that might come your way. That just like the fear of the Lord is an orientation and just like the fear of the Lord is a direction for your life, so is pride. Pride is an orientation. Pride centers your life upon yourself. Pride takes you in a direction and it is a direction that is the exact opposite of the Lord. This is why Peter says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In fact, we can think about pride and understand it perhaps even more clearly when we think about that other passage that I read to start the service. When we hear Uzziah's name, the one that probably we're most familiar with, and that call of Isaiah, do you remember the vision that God has, uh, that Isaiah has, that the Lord gives him? It says, in the year that King Uzziah, that's our guy, died, isn't that a reminder that all men, no matter how great, are going to find their end? All men. No matter how much power, no matter how much success, no matter how affluent, no matter how many, how many battles won, no matter how much gold collected, all of them are going to find the end. And here it is, it's almost like it's going back and transporting us back to the second part of 2 Chronicles chapter 26 to show us Uzziah was not as great as Uzziah believed that he was because Uzziah would die. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of the robe filled the temple. Why do I circle lifted up? Do you know what the word proud, proud in the Hebrew translates to? Lift up. These have the same root word. Do you know what pride is? Pride is man's attempt to seize the throne of God for himself. Pride is man's attempt to seize the glory of God for himself. And God will not abide a man trying to believe that he is strong apart from God, that he is wise apart from God, that he is glorious apart from God, that he is successful apart from God. It is better for a man to be sunk to the bottom of the Atlantic than to believe that he can adequately seize the throne of God for himself. This morning, is there pride in your life? Are you believing that you're stronger or wiser or more able than than you really are? Are you believing that, that you, like, like you, like Uzziah, as you've grown, as the years have passed by, as, as the retirement account has accumulated, as the wisdom has come in and the knowledge and the experience, as time has gone on, have you matured in grace and matured in humility or have you grown into pride? Because to sink your ship, you need to believe yourself unsinkable and then you need to prove yourself unmovable. Pursu- pr- prove yourself unmovable. 
how did he ultimately come to be destroyed? See, all of the other kings in his day, they had a, they had a privilege that Uzziah didn't have. All of the other kings by all of the surrounding nations were priest kings. In other words, they oversaw and overlooked the, the political civic life of the nation, and they oversaw and, over, and ruled over the religious life of, of their nations. And so they were both the ones who offered the sacrifices and the ones who made the civic decisions. But God, God in his law, had, had split and divided those duties so that you had the king who ruled civically, and you had the priests, the priests who were in charge of the religious life of the community. But here's Uzziah, and Uzziah wants the prestige of the other nations. Here's Uzziah, and Uzziah wants to have the authority and the promotion, the self-promotion of these other kings. He wants to be recognized as being able to be just like them. And so what does Uzziah do? Uzziah takes and he grabs the incense and he charges into the temple as though he is a priest, as though he is qualified. And by doing so, he usurps the very law of God itself. He says, I am above the law. I am beyond the law. I can rewrite the law and I'll do as I please. Eighty priests. It says that they are men of valor, courageous men who risk their lives. Go, and they confront Uzziah, and they tell Uzziah that he must not do this, that he's, he's doing it to his own demise, which, by the way, shows us that a lack of healthy fear is not freedom. That, that's a hardened heart. We're going to talk about that more. The lack of a healthy fear is lethal. It's lethal. They go in and they, they begin to, to wave their arms and to try to get Uzziah to stop. And how does Uzziah respond? He's angry. He's enraged. In matter, as a matter of fact, the, the word that, 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 that's used there for anger or for enraged, it, it says that it means literally to foam at the mouth. In other words, there was a time in Uzziah's life in which he so feared the Lord, in which he was so hungry to aim his life Godward, that he went and he sought out the instruction of the fear of the Lord. He wanted other people to speak into his life. He wanted spiritual advisors. He wanted people to keep him in the guardrails and to live in an accountable relationship. He wanted to people to help ensure that he was living and bringing every area of his life in submission and surrender to his Lord. But here he is at the end of his life and no longer is the humility there that sees the instruction. Now he says, how dare you correct me? See, that's the mark of a fool. That's the mark of a man who's living selfishly. That's a mark of a man or a woman who doesn't fear the Lord. They cannot be wrong. They cannot be corrected. They cannot be rebuked. In fact, in fact, it helps us understand even more clearly what it means to fear the Lord. See, to fear the Lord is to have a soft heart before the Lord. It's to have a, a, a heart that is, that is easily convicted of its sin and repentant. It's to have a heart that, that says, Lord, I am the potter and you are the clay. Make me into what you would have me to be. To not fear the Lord, to not fear the Lord is to be obstinate. It's to have a, a hard heart. It's, it's to say, God, I am who I am and I'm going to do what I want to do. The, the, the great sage in Proverbs 28 points this out. He says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart, do you see the connection? What's the opposite of fearing the Lord? Hardening your heart. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Soften your heart. Hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Can I just ask you, what's the state of your heart? What's the state of your heart? If someone tells you you're wrong, what's your first reaction? If someone gently and lovingly says, brother, I'm not sure that you're thinking straight about this, what's your reaction? Are you able to be wrong? Are you able to be corrected? 
Regardless if you're young or if you're old, regardless if you've been a Christian for a year or for four decades, regardless if if you've lived years of faithfulness, can you in this time in your life, are you accountable? Are you willing to humble yourself and submit yourself to those in the Lord that love you and care about you and want to call you forward? Are Are you willing to submit yourself to the preaching of God's word? Are you willing to submit yourself to godly friends and a, or a husband or a wife that care about you, that want to, like these 80 courageous priests, hold up the red flags and say, brother, sister, I care about you and I want to protect you. This is not the way. Are you soft-hearted or are you hard-hearted? And that's just the same as asking, do you fear the Lord or not? Do you fear the Lord or not? If you don't, if you don't, you're on your way, certainly, to the bottom of the Atlantic. Which brings us to the final point that I want you to see. That how do you sink your ship? Believe yourself unsinkable, prove yourself unmovable, and then find yourself unrecoverable. Uzziah goes in, and he goes in without a head covering. And we know that he goes in without a, a head covering because it tells us that his forehead, it, it, it describes his forehead, they can see it. Now that doesn't seem very significant to us today. We don't think much about head coverings, but for the priests, it was incredibly significant. The head covering meant at least two things. In one, it was an act of humility. It was in some way a barrier between you and the glory of God. It was in some way an act of humility showing, I am one who is not worthy to come into the unfiltered presence of the glory of God. And it was, on the other hand, the image of being cloaked in holiness yourself. For one who is unholy, who enters into the Lord's holiness, will be evaporated, incinerated on the spot. And so it was to be cloaked in holiness. The recognition that one must be made holy to enter into the presence of one who is holy. But here's Uzziah. He is not humble and he is not holy. And he strolls casually into the presence of the Lord. As he strolls casually into the presence of the Lord, uh, leprosy breaks out across the forehead, across the very place which should have been shielded from the Lord as a marker of God's judgment against him. And the priests and Uzziah run out of the presence of the Lord knowing, knowing what has taken place. And what's striking, what's striking is how he's remembered. The epitaph that's written there across the tombstone of Uzziah's Uzziah's tomb says this. He is a leper. He is a leper. Not he was a leper. He is a leper. In other words, the legacy that Uzziah leaves behind is not how God used him in the early part of his life, but how God humbled him at the end of his life. How God cast him out of his presence at the end of his life. And I wonder this morning, what will your legacy be? Will your legacy be how God used you? Or will your legacy be how God humbled you? Will your legacy be how God worked through you and channeled his glory and used you to to raise up generations of Christ followers and invest in the life of a community that that discipled and shepherded and sent out missionaries to the nation? Or, 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 Or will you be one who God has to humble at the end of your life so that you feel as though God is far from you? But you know what? There's good news for us that there wasn't for Uzziah at the time. Do you remember what it said? He was struck with leprosy. He was struck with leprosy. This is how you talk about lepers. They are stricken. They are stricken with the judgment of God. They are stricken so that they are made unclean. They are stricken so that they cannot come in and enjoy the fellowship with God. They cannot enjoy the fellowship of the assembly. They cannot come in and worship. So he's stricken. 
Isaiah talks about another one who was stricken, doesn't he? Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by the judgment of God and afflicted. Do you see it? Do you see it? Uzziah wanted to be the priest king on behalf of the people that managed both the personal and religious lives of his people, but he had no authority to do it because there was an actual priest king who was coming, who would take his very own blood as the sacrifice and cover and sprinkle his people with it. And he, he would be stricken as a leper. He would say, I am a leopard. And because he is a leper, I am clean. And you are clean. So this morning, if you've been humbled by the Lord, if the Lord has brought you and softened your heart and, re- and brought you to repentance, the good news is, is that this morning there was a Savior who was stricken on your behalf, who welcomes you right back into the fold, who says, my son, my daughter, go once more in my grace, with my help, in my will, that you might prosper for my glory. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.